We're in Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 25 through 37 today. So I'll give you a moment to turn to that, and we'll get started. Luke chapter 10. I do not have a church Bible. I don't know what page it's on. Ask a neighbor if you need help. Okay. How many times did you almost share the gospel this week? That sound familiar to any of you? Almost share the gospel. Uh, One evening, I, I just had a conflict with my wife, Becky, and uh, the doorbell rang, and it was a political candidate, guy running for state representative, and uh, he, so he came to my door, and get this, he asked, what is important to you, and do you know what I almost said? I almost said, what's important to me is winning this fight I'm having with my wife, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't say that, (laughs) but here's the point. I was so in my own head that it took me almost 90% of the conversation to realize the gospel opportunity I had in front of me. It was not like you, Randy. (laughs) And by then, I was so ashamed of myself that I did not take the opportunity. About five minutes after he left, I changed my mind and I went outside, but I didn't find him. That evening, I failed to proclaim the gospel. And I failed for one reason. My motivation to proclaim it was me. And I'm sure the same happened to some of you. Friends, if we're going to proclaim the gospel, what motivates us really matters. This concept is, is once again at the heart of the text today as we continue through the book of Luke. And as we finish our section called Proclaiming the Kingdom. Now last week we saw the correct motivation for proclamation. It's, it's not us. It's not the results of our work, but it's total dependence on Jesus. The gospel is what motivates us to proclaim the gospel. This is because we're not dependent on our own work to get us to heaven because our names are already written there. Even more, we're we're motivated to faithfully proclaim the gospel because Jesus determines who gets it and who doesn't. The people we might expect are going to get it, maybe don't, and the people that we expect aren't going to get it, get it. Some people are hungry and we don't know why. So we just aim at everybody. (laughs) And unsurprisingly... The people who get it are often the people who we view as the least competent. And the ones who seem the most together often don't get it. Today, we're going to meet such a man. A person, a lawyer, a man who thinks he is righteous, 
that is worthy of God's presence. He thinks he's righteous by his own efforts and he doesn't get it. And Jesus is going to very lovingly and patiently dismantle him, showing us that any self-righteous person might think he's a friend of God, but he's not only bending God's law, he's busy with everything except what really matters. And worst of all, he, for all of his strengths and degrees and prestige, has no hope of the thing that matters the most, salvation. Yet, God will have his people. Let us be provoked by the case study we're about to read. Let us be provoked to consider our own self-righteousness. Provoked even to realize that some of us might be much farther from God than we think. But let us also be encouraged that even in our failure, whether it was the failure to proclaim the gospel this week or the failure to humbly do it and the tendency to share with one person, fold your hands and sit down, Let us be encouraged that God's kingdom is going to be proclaimed anyway. And as judgment isn't here yet, no matter how our week went, it's not too late for mercy for any of us. So let me read verses 25 through 29 of chapter 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and with all your mind, and you'll love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you shall live. But he desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And we'll stop there. The first thing Luke tells us to do, if we, like this lawyer, want to have no hope for salvation, is to say that we love God, but to bend his law to look righteous. Let's look at this character in verse 25. This guy's a lawyer, and for some of you, that's all you need to know to realize that he's the bad guy. (laughs) Any lawyers here? Sorry, visitors, don't leave. I'm sorry. (laughs) But let's look closer for a second. The fact that he's a lawyer is actually really important because lawyers during this time, they were associated with another group called the Pharisees. They all kind of hung together. In fact, back in Luke chapter 7, verse 30, the Pharisees and then in turn the lawyers rejected Jesus because they rejected John the Baptist. In other words, this guy standing up, if you didn't already get it from the reading, he's not a neutral party. He's not curious. He has false motives. Let's look at those motives a little bit. Look in verse 25. The lawyer stands in order to put Jesus to the test. And think about the wording here. He called Jesus teacher 
But he's the one who wants to administer the test. That's not how it works if you ever went to school. (laughs) You go there to learn. (laughs) And here's his question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And in this simple question, we start to learn about his dark motives. So let me ask you, what do you have to do to inherit something? Let's use lawyer talk. You simply have to be a beneficiary. In other words, you just have to have your name in the will to get the good stuff. You just have to have the name to get the good stuff. You don't do anything. You didn't get your name. You were given your name. The person who wrote the will is the one who did all the work. And so Jesus, seeing right through that, cuts to the point. He responds in verse 26. He plays along and and he asks what all good gospel teachers ask when they're trying to deepen the conversation. What does scripture say? How do you read it? And the lawyer is no slouch. He sums up the Ten Commandments pretty well. Love God and love your neighbor. Jesus actually affirms this in verse 28. But then in verse 29, the lawyer completely reveals his motives. He, desiring to justify himself, says, Who is my neighbor? What is he looking for? Well, like any good lawyer, he's looking for a loophole. (laughs) Give me a people to love, give me a list, and I'll do it. I don't think he'll do it. He thinks, he sure thinks he will. In other words, to this lawyer, serving God and Jesus, loving God, is a hill that we can climb. We can do it. We'll earn that inheritance. Do you feel the tension starting to build in the room when that happens? He's kind of daring Jesus. Just a heads up, by the way, the description of this lawyer is is kind of an indication that what Jesus says next is here to convict this person. He's not going to share some feel-good story. The response is going to be aimed to indict this man. Rightfully so. He's not a neutral party. This is a very slick religious person. He speaks of love for Jesus, calling him teacher. But it's really about something else entirely. What does this imply? What does this scene imply for us? It implies that that self-righteousness, trying to earn God's favor, it's slippery, but we can identify it. You ever meet with somebody and you're not, you just don't quite know? You're not quite sure about them? Something seems off? I mean, look here. I mean, the most competent, religious person, wise-sounding person, he's perhaps the most dangerous. That's the key. When you meet people that are really competent-looking, 
and wise sounding. They are perhaps the most dangerous. I don't want to lay into you if you simply just have perfect attendance at church. (laughs) I don't want to say that's the only reason. But the possibility becomes very clear because of this scene. The main evidence, though, is that their motives are self-seeking, and all you have to do to get there is ask the right question. What does Scripture say? How do you read it? Take them to the book. You'll get your answers pretty quick. Hey, I'm not a bad person. (laughs) Get right to it. Now, this could be tricky, so I'm going to have to pause to give you an example of what it might look like. I bet that if this lawyer last week would have somehow entered this congregation, when I dare you to, when I dare you to share the gospel, I think he would have done one of two things. He would have either shared the gospel with exactly one person and then proudly sat down and not thought about it for the rest of the week, or I think he would have argued with me from the Greek about why he's not obligated to do it. That's exactly what I think would have happened. Anybody feel like the lawyer yet? I kind of do. And I don't say that to lay waste to you because there's a ton of factors. Especially if speaking to people is really hard for you. Or you grew up in the church and you were taught, don't go deep with people. Just be nice. That's what I got growing up. It's really hard for me to take it deeper. And I do want to be sensitive to that. But I do also want to say, we still have to do it. My hope here is to say how easy it is to justify ourselves when a command like this goes out. To love God and your neighbor? Forget sharing the gospel. How am I supposed to do that? Love my neighbor? Love God? What a high calling that is. I mean, if we just went through the Ten Commandments, how many are you getting through? Before you got to say, I don't know. Maybe not. Consider how easy, for example, it is to make excuses, to not witness to people. Consider how easy it is to be proud when witnessing goes well. Consider how easy it is to get defensive when somebody brings up your sin. Consider how easy it is to minimize it. I'm not a bad person. I didn't kill anybody so easy to do this. My point is that it's easy to fool people, including ourselves, which is why I'm so glad that Jesus is here because he's not fooled. So his response is a parable. It's a fictional story meant to communicate a very deep truth. And from context, I think it's clear that the lawyer's self-righteous heart is about to be the point. Jesus is about to expose the darkness of this man's heart to help us see how far from Jesus, 
how far from God self-righteousness is. And so we are going to start reading a parable that I got wrong when I was a kid, and I bet some of you did too. So let's read verses 30 through 32, and we'll meet some characters. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So the second thing Luke's telling us here, if we want to have no hope for salvation like the lawyer, all we have to do is be busy with everything but mercy. Let me set the scene and introduce the characters, and then we'll get here. So verse 30, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And remember, the question is, who is my neighbor? So the lawyer might think, ah, this is the neighbor. A man going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jesus gives a very specific detail here. And it's not the man. I want to help you understand why it's so significant. Why does he say Jerusalem to Jericho? Why doesn't he just say a man was out walking? He's very specific to give this place. And and, uh, the reason why I think is that, first of all, the journey from Jerusalem to Jericho is about 15 miles. It's kind of narrow and steep. Can we get the picture up there? There's lots of places for robbers to hide. A little cliff there on the side if you want to fall down it. Three feet wide, maybe in certain spots. And um, people were often robbed on this path, as you can see. And um, in this story, a man is walking down this road. Maybe not this specific road, but one very much like it. This is the same road. And um, he's robbed and left for dead. And so we meet the characters who are on this road. First, in verse 31, a priest enters the scene. Now, the priest would have been a very good guy to the character or to the lawyer because, the, remember, the lawyer is in with the Pharisees. So the priest comes in and the lawyer thinks, the hero is here. But um, instead of helping him, the priest walks by on the other side. Now, that would anger the lawyer enough, lawyer enough to hear, but it's actually kind of funny. I mean... Look at the picture. How wide is that road? I mean, we're not talking about Easterly Parkway. Like you literally have to trip over somebody if you're trying to avoid them. You have to risk falling down that slope if you're going to go around. You must really hate this person to walk past them. And a priest, the height of Jewish importance... A man this lawyer would probably aspire to be like just keeps walking. Now, maybe it's a matter of uncleanliness. Maybe the priest has something really priestly to get to. I don't know. But maybe he could at least signal for his helper, right? That's the Levite, verse 32. 
Okay, so you can't do anything. Maybe the Levite can do something. Nope. (laughs) The result is the same. The man left for dead remains left for dead by the two people who were maybe in the best position to help. They do nothing. Now, I'll pause here before introducing the hero because I want to make it perfectly clear that these characters are not only meant to represent the self-righteous lawyer, but they're meant to represent all of Israel who's happy, who thinks God is happy with their little efforts. Here's the clearest evidence. Even if they're priests on their way to sacrifice, it's all about them. I mean, think about the problem. It's, it's actually made most clear. It won't be up there, but Isaiah ch- uh, chapter 1, verse, verse 11, when God has been indicting Israel century after century for their tendency to run to other gods, to run away, to not share things with their neighbors, but to just hoard all the good stuff for themselves, to not love God. In Isaiah chapter 1, verses, verse 11, here's what God says to Israel. What good to me is your multitude of sacrifices, says the Lord. And then later in Isaiah chapter 29, if you want to write that down, this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Doesn't that sound like the lawyer to you? Teacher! His heart is nowhere near what it should be. Because the moment that Jesus said, you're correct, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor, do this and you'll live, the man should have said, I can't do that. But he didn't. He looked for a loophole. His religion was all about him. It wasn't about God at all. This parable is an implication not just of priests and Levites, but every self-righteous person. They're busy with vain religious works, thinking that they're making God happy, but their neighbors lay dead while they are fooled into thinking they are righteous. Now, what does this mean for us? If your Christianity no matter how busy is about spending your weeks covering up your biggest flaws, maintaining a facade, and lacking mercy towards the dead people around you, you might be farther from God than you think. I'm going to put myself back on the chopping block because I want to show you how subtle this is. After the conflict with my wife and the doorbell rang and I failed to share the gospel in a literally a golden opportunity, my mind was everywhere except on the man on my doorstep. I simply didn't care about him. What did I care about? It didn't matter. Now, he might have been a Christian, 
But for all I know, I closed my door and left a dead man outside. And some of us did that too. Here's my point. If we're busy, even with good things, but it's all about us, we're the priests and we're the Levites. We're the lawyers. We are the self-righteous. Busy going from place to place and stepping over dead people to get there. Now, I hope that provoked your sense of urgency a little bit. I learned a lot that night. But in keeping with the heart of this section, proclaiming the kingdom, judgment isn't here yet. So let me be patient, because the Lord is patient towards me. Even better, the rest of the story gives tremendous hope as we encounter the hero. Let me read verses 33 through 37. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, that's the man left for dead, when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds and poured on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of those three, Jesus now asks, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The third thing that Luke tells us here is if we want to have no hope for salvation, the reward for the self-righteous is that Jesus will use their enemies to proclaim the kingdom. And I might even add, Jesus will use his enemies to proclaim the kingdom. Now, there's a ton that happens in 33 through 37. And if you even remotely grew up in church or went to a VBS, you've heard this parable and all sorts of things are coming into your mind. But what I want to focus on first is the contrast between the Samaritan and the priest and Levite. Or the contrast between the Samaritan and the lawyer. First, the introduction of the Samaritan would have enraged the lawyer. Because the Samaritans, historically, were the bad guys. As Peter mentioned last week, they were half Jewish. They were people who were part of the conquered Israel by the enemies. And their lineage got intermingled with non-Jews because they stuck around when everybody left. So in short, they were not heroes. Not by a long shot. I mean, even the apostles in chapter 9, do you remember what they said they wanted Jesus to do to Samaria? Drop fire on it. These were not the good guys. But here, 
not only is this Samaritan the one who stops at the half dead man, but look at verse 34 and 35. He dresses the wounds. He puts the man on his own animal and walks down that crazy road we just looked at. And he walks the treacherous narrow path. And he gives money not only to help the man, a lot of money I might add, but he then opens a tab to ensure that this victim is taken care of. Did you see the contrast? This Samaritan is lavish. Compare that to the priest and the Levite. They were stingy. (laughs) They didn't even stop. And think about the lawyer. What must I do? Give me the bare minimum. I think he would have looked for every loophole. He might at most have kept a tab open, but it would have gotten charged to the half-dead man's account. I guarantee it. He would have done the bare minimum. He might have asked for interest. But in all this, Jesus concludes the story and he then asks the lawyer, who's a neighbor? And the lawyer's trapped, of course, and says, the man who shows mercy. In other words, the Samaritan. Jesus then tells the man to to go and be merciful. Again, another high calling. He kind of gives him the answer. But if if he doesn't really love God and his neighbor, how's he going to be merciful? It's kind of a backhanded answer there. Because really what I think he's saying to the man is this. You aren't the hero you think you are. What's the point of all this? The self-righteousness of the lawyer is exposed by Jesus as completely in contrast to everything that Jesus is proclaiming. I mean, the clearest evidence is that this lawyer is the exact opposite of Jesus himself. I mean, when you read the Samaritan, don't you kind of see Jesus there? Consider Jesus who, back in chapter 9, taught his disciples that following him meant suffering for the sake of others. Does that sound like the Samaritan? Jesus, who then, after revealing his glory to his disciples on the mountaintop, he then stooped down in mercy and immediately began serving people And began to walk with his face set towards his own sacrificial death in Jerusalem. That's extravagance. And you know what? The lawyer says that he loves Jesus. But I don't think the lawyer knows Jesus. He doesn't seem to. So how did the original audience have taken this story? Consider Theophilus, that's the man who the book was written to. He was a pretty important person. I think that he would read this and he would see that God doesn't care how important you are 
He certainly doesn't care how important you think you are. And that Jesus, in bringing about this fulfillment of the Old Testament, and bringing about this new kingdom, he will take a merciful Samaritan over a self-righteous priest. He'll take a Samaritan over a priest. For us, Jesus begins to let us in right here on a secret that gets fully revealed at the cross. And it's a secret that we see now in full daylight. We're out proclaiming to people. God's kingdom, one day, the day we live in, will be proclaimed by anyone for anyone. And all it takes is total dependence on Jesus. That's how the kingdom gets proclaimed. Friends, do you know how easy it is to miss this? I mean, I read this parable as a kid, and I don't know how you took it, but here's how I took it. I thought it was a nice story about how we're supposed to do good and be generous to people. So I would go do that, and then I would congratulate myself. Ironic. I thought I was a Samaritan, and I was a lawyer the whole time. How about you? I want to just say this for a a closing application. Professing Christian or not, judgment isn't here yet, but it is coming. It is here to lift us up, the judgment that fell on Jesus. Do you think right now that you are righteous before God because you shared the gospel with somebody? Or do you maybe think that you're not righteous before God because you didn't. Don't be fooled. Both of those are actually the walk of the priest and the Levite. Because God will love me as long as I do this. Right? Wrong. If you do that, you're proclaiming the wrong kingdom. I don't care how many people you talk to this week. Our greatest hope is that Jesus is not like us. Because while you were on your way, if this is you, from Jerusalem to Jericho, if you're the priest and the Levite, and you're walking this way out of Jerusalem for your own self-interest, consider the contrast. Consider Jesus, who right here, had his face set walking towards Jerusalem to die so that you would live. He's the exact opposite. Isn't that good news? He did not do the bare minimum. He gave everything so that you would live and so that they could live. Friends, whether you're Christian or not, Receive that mercy. Receive it. 
It's what Jesus has done. Not what you do. That is the hope of your salvation. That is how to have hope. Fully depend on the Lord. Success, depend on the Lord. Failure, depend on the Lord. I'm not here to divide you into two camps. The people that talked to the hairdressers and the people that didn't. It's much deeper than that. Then out of that mercy, go proclaim his kingdom. Jesus literally bled mercy so that we could. Was sharing the gospel or attempting to share the gospel last week difficult? Good. It shows that you can't do it on your own. Cry out to Jesus if that's you and keep going. Did you skip it? Did you think about it a whole bunch, but you didn't quite get there? Cry out to Jesus and try again. Did you do it with a proud heart? Cry out to Jesus and keep proclaiming. We've got the whole world to reach and we cannot do it on our own strength. I'm going to just close with this new challenge. Ready? If there's maybe 50 of us here, just spring break. Um, but if 50 of us here shared the gospel with one person, not just next week, but every week for the next 10 years, do you know how many people this little group would reach? 27,000 people. I did the math. That's half a state college. And that is just us. That's 50 of us. Just our little church. What if every church did that? Probably take the campus too while we're at it. Let's consider that challenge. Because how about you? When I set that little reminder on my phone, I had to go off every day. And it was like, all right, do I really believe this? But you know what? Got a little easier every day. And uh, spoiler alert, even though I failed with that guy, I did get his business card and we talked later. (laughs) So you can ask me about that. Let's pray. Dear God, you are so good to us. Lord, I am so glad not just for me, but for everyone in here, that our hope for salvation isn't the stuff that we did last week, but rather it's who we ran to when we failed and who we trusted in when we succeeded. Jesus, would you help us on that strength to not grow weary of proclaiming the gospel? Would you help us to make that part of our life. Lord, for some of us here, would you reignite a desire to get out there? Lord, thank you so much for your mercy and grace. Let us sing boldly to you. Amen.